0: what end do preachers preach? We'll have an answer to that question as we take a look at the sovereignty of God in preaching next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Some will tell you it's to look good, others will tell you it's to motivate. But here in God's Word, it is the sovereignty of God that is on display when a man would preach the gospel. Welcome to the broadcast, This is Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. The simple statement, Sovereignty of God in Preaching, is the title of our message today. We're again in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner.
1: We have been looking at this passage now for a few weeks, and we will continue to look at it for at least a couple of more weeks because it has such fundamental truths and such practical truths for us in our lives today. Now, two weeks ago, we began to look at the apostolic mission of the church And we saw that though God called his apostles to some unique one-time responsibilities as they laid the foundation of the church through the centuries, nevertheless, there are some similarities between what Jesus Christ called his apostles to do and what he has called his church to do, built upon those apostles in the 21st century and throughout history. And we saw that that mission of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has given his apostolic church is first to be with him, to enjoy fellowship with him, to walk with him day by day, to worship him, to live in conformity to his life. And then secondly, to proclaim the word of God to the four corners of the world with demon conquering authority last week we began looking at the subject the proclamation and authoritative preaching of the word of god and i said that with the rediscovery of the biblical doctrine of preaching and with the renewal of preaching itself would come the revival of and reformation of the church and with the revival of the church would come the christian reconstruction of every aspect of this nation's life but it's obvious we are a long way from the christian reconstruction of this country into a christian republic why because we appear to be a long way from the spiritual reformation of the church and because we are a long way from the renewal of preaching and the revival of the doctrine of preaching among our brothers and sisters today. Today, preaching is in a sad state of affairs. Uh, There are literally few true Christ-centered preachers. There are a lot who think they are preachers, but there are few real preachers. There is little true preaching, and above that, there is an abysmal lack of appreciation for true preaching in the churches all over this land. We are, as the prophets of the Old Testament said, living during a long famine of the preaching of the Word of God, and America is starving to death because of it. And she does not know why she is starving to death. Some churches have given up on preaching altogether and have replaced it with drama and simple dialogue or liturgy and others with just grand music, with little sermonettes. Other churches want experience and feeling-oriented preaching that caused the congregation to feel warm in the cockles of their hearts. Other churches want the preacher to be a psychologist, someone who stands in the pulpit and gives counsel and deals with intimate personal problems. Other churches want grand orators who gifts and polish they can brag about and whom they can be proud of. Most churches today want short sermons that are simple, uncomplex pablum so they can remain ignorant. Our good friend Joe Moorcraft says these kinds of sermons are sermonettes by preacherettes for Christianettes. Few churches in our country today want faithful exposition of the Word of God closely applied. Hardly any churches want doctrinal preaching because it is so irrelevant, they think, to their lives. Whereas the preaching that has been blessed by God down through the ages has been careful, faithful, doctrinal preaching that expounds and opens up the whole counsel of God regularly, systematically, paragraph by paragraph, book by book. One of the most influential preachers that has ever lived was John Calvin. And by the way, if you missed Pastor Marcus Servan's lecture on John Calvin, you missed a very well-delivered and extremely informative lecture. It was through Calvin's preaching that the Western world was largely Christianized. And one of the reasons the Calvinistic wing of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century was so influential in the West, whereas the Lutheran wing eventually got sidetracked and withered, is because of the strategy of the two. The Lutheran wing of the Protestant Reformation, as great as it was, sought to capture the magistrates, you know, the princes and the dukes, the the powerful men, and get them to legalize Christianity, forcing their subjects to accept it. While Calvin was out among the masses, he started preaching to the grassroots, the people on the street. And it was through the faithful preaching of men like John Calvin and Martin Bucer and Ulrich Zwingli and John Knox and others that Northern Europe and Great Britain and eventually, actually, Northern America were Christianized with the gospel of Christ. So, how did John Calvin and the others preach? Well, anyone who is acquainted with the commentaries of his on the whole Bible knows. For he would start with one book, and he would go through it paragraph by paragraph, and when he would finish that book, he would go through another book of the Bible the same way, and then another, and then another. And this is the kind of preaching God uses to change people's lives and to change cultures' the doctrinal exposition of the word of God, book by book, slowly and carefully, which most church members today do not want and cannot tolerate. You people are an exceptional group of Christians. That is not the way it has always been, beloved. I was told a story one time about a little old lady about 150 years ago who brought charges against her pastor before the church session, you know, the Board of Elders, because each week she had to ride about 40 miles in a horse and wagon to church somewhere off in the Midwest, which was a several-hour trip. And she didn't feel that it was worthwhile that the pastor was only going to preach a two-hour sermon so the pastor was duly rebuked by the session those were the days when the church of god was a great force in the world so we continue on our subject today having trust in the fact that the doctrinal expository sermon i give today will take us one small step closer To the restoration of the church and the transformation of the world as promised in the word of God. And I do know one thing for sure. That if you as an individual and as a family and as a church recapture in your own mind and conscience An appreciation for the preaching of the word of God. While vast portions of God's church in this country may remain in the darkness of apostasy. That discovery on your part will bring revival, reformation, spiritual renewal, restoration to your own personal life, to your home, to your children, and to this congregation. So we continue today an orderly, systematic study of the biblical doctrine of preaching. And let's begin with Review. Last week, we saw, first of all, the origin of preaching. Preaching originated with the apostolic mandate of the Lord Jesus Christ to his church. In Mark 3, it says that Jesus called to himself whom he would, and they came, and he called them to be with him and to preach his word with demon-conquering authority, we also, last week, saw that there is a prophetic aspect to this, that Isaiah 66 prophesied. That there would be a day when the Word of God would be preached globally to all the nations of the world. In fact, let's, let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah 66. It's too good of a passage not to read again. Isaiah 66, beginning in verse 18. We read, For I know their works and thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall listen, all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord what a prophecy did you hear that beloved all mankind will bow down before me someday says the lord now is this going to happen all at once we'll go to bed one night with the world apostate and the next morning all mankind then bows down before the lord of course not There's a great aspect of this prophecy that we must not lose sight of, that from Sabbath to Sabbath, over time, all mankind will come to bow before me, the Lord says. Now, why does it say that gradually, progressively, Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will eventually come and bow down before the throne of Almighty God? Well, what happens on the Sabbath? Preaching, declaring the glory of our great God to the church and to those who have never heard of his fame in a congregation worshiping covenantally as a body of Christ. So Sabbath to Sabbath, through the history of the human race, as the gospel of Jesus Christ is authoritatively preached by those whom Christ is sent to preach eventually all mankind globally will become Christians and bow in homage and in reverence to the triune God. It's right there in Isaiah 66, beloved. Where did preaching originate? It originated with God himself prophesied in the Old Testament and mandated by the Son of God to his apostles in the New Testament. Another thing I emphasized last week was the centrality of preaching in God's plan of salvation. You know, one thing the church was at one time never confused about, but which is so confused about today is where does preaching come in in the overall scheme of things? Well, beloved, it's not by accident that this church is built the way it is and arranged the way it is. Lone Hill Church, and us as well, Reformed Heritage Church, allow our doctrine of preaching to determine where the Lord's table will be set and where this pulpit will be set. If you go back to a Roman Catholic church or some high Episcopal churches or some Lutheran churches and even some high liturgical Presbyterian churches, you will find that the pulpit is not front and center. You will find a divided chancellery. On one side, there is a little pulpit where the Bible is read, and then on the other side, there may be a large pulpit where they preach, which really is quite symbolic. Over here on this side is a small pulpit where the Word of God is preached and Over there, a larger pulpit where the word word is read. And then over here, a larger pulpit where the word is preached. I mean, what's more important? The Bible, the written word of God, or the word preached? Then front and center on the altar is a communion table in good Roman Catholic fashion. The worship service is ultimately sacramental. They are concerned with sacrifices that take place on the altar represented by the communion table. Well, that totally betrays not only the biblical doctrine of worship, but the biblical doctrine of the word of God. It is the preaching of the Word of God that gives any meaning whatsoever to the Lord's table. And that is why rather than exalting the table up above the pulpit or relegating the pulpit to some side of the church, that pulpit stands front and center here at Lone Hill Church. Because it is the Word of God that dominates everything So the communion table sits underneath the pulpit. It is the word of God that gives the sacrament its meaning. And the sacrament is a sign and a seal of the blessings promised in the word of God. Now the church used to understand this. If you go back and look at the churches in history in New England and Europe... You'll find in Protestant churches that this is where the pulpit was placed because they understood the centrality of the preaching of the Word of God. In a worship service, in the life of the church, and in the life of the kingdom of God, the preaching of the Word of God is central to God's whole plan of salvation. Far more central than we normally realize Let me remind you by turning to two passages from last week. Turn to Luke 24 with me. Do you remember that radical statement I made last week? Where I said, for the salvation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ wasn't enough. Do you remember that? Something else must be done in order for sinners to be saved. It's not enough that Jesus died upon the cross. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus is talking and he says, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached In his name, among all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. What are the two things Jesus said must or should be done? First of all, that he should suffer and rise again the third day. And then secondly, that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name before all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. So what did Christ do when he lived, died, and rose again? He accomplished salvation for God's people. And now, through his extended ministry, the preaching of the gospel by those whom he sent to preach, he applies the blessings and the accomplishments of that salvation to the lives of his people, and he actually saves people through preaching. So Jesus said, these are the two things that must be done if the world is going to be saved and forgiveness and there is to be forgiveness of their sins. First of all, Jesus has to suffer, die and rise again. And secondly, the gospel has to be preached. Men have been called to repentance and to faith. That is how central the preaching of the gospel is, beloved. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, the other passage that we looked at last week. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I declare unto ye that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Notice what Paul says, verse 2. By which also ye are saved. What is it that saves sinners according to this text? If you say the gospel... You would not be giving the answer this text gives us. What is it that saves sinners? It is the preached gospel. Paul says, you are saved by the gospel I preach to you. So it's not simply the accomplish of the gospel that is essential to our salvation, although it is certainly essential. It is the opening up and the preaching of the gospel by those who have been sent by Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that brings salvation of God into this world and to individuals, to families, and to communities. That is how central the preaching of the Word of God is to His plan of salvation. Now, what is the authority of the preacher? We have looked at the origin of preaching and the apostolic mandate. We have looked at the centrality that is the part of the application of the gospel itself. And so now let's consider the authority of preaching. Where does a preacher get his authority for preaching and speaking trustworthily and dogmatically expecting those who are not even Christians to give and yield obedience to his preaching if his preaching is in accordance to the word of God. Does that authority come from his superior intellect or his superior abilities? Well, we know here at RHC that that's certainly not true. It comes from what Jesus Christ has made him to be he is a kroux from the Greek he is someone who is a messenger for the king whose one and only responsibility is to actually give the message of the king without any embellishment adding nothing to it or taking nothing away and when that messenger speaks for the king exactly what the king wants him to speak He not only speaks in the name of the king and with the authority of the king, he also speaks under the protection of the king.
0: Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, the Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us. A quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us. 408-866-5607. That's our phone number, 408-866-5607. Or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for Post Mailbox, number 402. 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call, that phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5, and any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program, as this is a listener-supported ministry. We're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408-866-5607. Until next time, God bless.